0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Project Edward 2023 podcast, My Role in the Safe System. This week our reporter is Darren Lindsay and he's in conversation with Mark Cartwright from National Highways for a discussion on some of the unique challenges faced by lorry and van drivers on the Strategic Road Network and a look at what's being done to improve levels of safety, compliance and driver well-being. Darren met Mark at the recent FOURS conference in Birmingham, first asking him about the benefits of technology in supporting drivers.
1: I think it's a fairly obvious thing to say that there are all kinds of benefits about the proper application of technology in in all vehicles cars vans trucks i guess there's two things that weigh on our mind with that though is number one we do want the driver still to recognize that they are in control of a vehicle and without sounding too melodramatic it's a phrase that's used very often a killing machine so they still are driving that vehicle and i do have some concern that we get more and more insulated and isolated from the from the task of driving. The other piece is something that really hit us between the eyes a little bit a few months ago when we were doing some work around um, AEB autonomous emergency braking systems primarily in HGVs but the same principle applies which is actually it's really difficult for an operator or a risk consultant or anybody else to actually understand the status of that equipment within the vehicle. Uh, fundamentally the and I'm no, no engineer, but fundamentally the signal that is sent around the canvas of the vehicle is encrypted to give it a priority over other signals that are going around the canvas, which is clearly what you would want it to have. Which means it's virtually impossible at the moment for an operator to interrogate the system and understand the status of the, of whatever piece of ADAS equipment, whatever piece of technology is involved. So, to give an example, we, we, as I say, we were focusing on some activity around HDV AEV systems. Uh, we spoke with a number of fleet managers. What would your attitude be to your drivers disabling? And they're perfectly able to do so legally and the, the way the legislation is written. But what would your attitude be to your drivers disabling your AB systems? Well, they'd have a case to answer. Why are they switching off a piece of safety equipment? Hang on a second, how would I know? That they switched off and if you take that stage further and look at the ADAS equipment that's coming forward as a, as a, a fleet operator wouldn't it be useful to know that your driver has triggered their AEB system wouldn't it be useful to know that the driver has disabled the AEB system wouldn't it be useful to know that they've triggered their lane keep system X number of times a day because all of these for me point to the fact that that driver might not be operating and driving the vehicle in an optimum kind of manner is if you like it's almost free driver feedback and that piece is missing from the equation at the moment we're doing a lot of work with uh, Euro NCAP behind the scenes uh, drafting up their standards for HGVs amending the existing standards out for vans and actually that's one of the things we're really keen on it's not just about bolting new bits of technology on there it's about facilitating a process For operators, risk professionals, whatever, to be able to interrogate that data that's there and get a better understanding
2: of that driver's behaviour. So just taking you back a step there, um, transparency in terms of understanding why this technology is in the vehicles is of equal importance. But what are you doing at National Highways about the training and the education to increase the awareness of this technology. Do you have any campaigns or anything like that running at the moment? Or?
1: We do stuff for our Drivers for Better Business campaign, which is all about raising uh, awareness and providing support within operational organisations. We did quite a lot last year around HGV, AV systems and trying to increase awareness across, not just for drivers, but across operators about not just the benefits of the process in the system but also some of its I don't want to call them limitations but people almost overestimate the abilities of, of AEB systems and also coming back to the point about how it's interpreted we um without giving any, any secrets or breaking any confidences we did a fair bit of work it talking to the various HGV manufacturers about their systems but what was quite interesting most of the time they fielded their product management marketing type people have a certain way of using the language. A couple of them sent their driver trainers along, which are a a somewhat different way of using the English language. And what they were saying to us really quite quickly in words of one syllable, if you've got a driver that keeps triggering an AEB system, Almost certainly not because of the problem with the A-B system. It's more of a problem with the driver's style. They're too aggressive in, in terms of their driving profiles. So that kind of information is, is dynamite. Why wouldn't you want to know that? So it, it's about training people about the, the way that the systems work, why they're doing what they're doing, as well as also providing that interrogation uh, ability for operators as well.
2: No, you, you manage the largest network um, overroads in England, and sometimes things go wrong. Um, Vehicles break down, commercial vehicles. What, What is it drivers, these are professional drivers, of course, what is it they should be doing when a vehicle breaks down today, have things changed? Or is it still as we know it, or is there any new changes to get that traffic flowing again?
1: I guess the the, the initial answer to that is we would be expecting them and their employees, employers rather their managers and their supervisors to be doing their damages to make sure the vehicle didn't break down on our network in the first place. Um, very often you could almost classify it as self-inflicted in some of the things that we we identify out there. Not so much with HGVs, to be perfectly honest, but certainly in terms of vans on our network, um, You know, the driver knew that they were about to run out of fuel, or their tyres weren't very good, or the engine was making a weird and wonderful noise. So they're almost a bit self-inflicted and we're starting to look more and more about how we can, number one, influence that behaviour from a, from a carrot point of view i you know welcome on our network we can see you're a good a good operator a good driver in a sound vehicle but also potentially a bit more about the stick as well we we, we operate a program we call green claims which is where we will claim funds back from operators typically if they crash and break our barriers and lights and all the rest of it will break the carriageway but you know we are looking actively at about how we use that if you took a vehicle knowing there was a fair chance of it stopping on a network once we are on that piece it comes down to really just managing that process as well as we can uh, with the least amount of risk is, is number one uh, and the least amount of disruption we ran our um, go left campaign a, a couple of years ago now wasn't everybody's cup of tea but the message was absolutely sound it's go left you know don't stop on the network if there's any chance at all of you being able to reach the next junction get yourself off the network go left if heaven forbid you are breaking down and stopping on that network if it's a a typical piece of motorway get yourself onto the hard shoulder get yourself as far left onto the hard shoulder as you can clamber out the left hand side of the vehicle get yourself behind the barrier walk towards the traffic so that you know you're presenting your safer object as you can if you've got vis, get your vis on etc 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 all very obvious stuff when we're talking about it in this nice sterile environment not always quite as obvious when all else broken loose at the side of the road hdvs as well in particular you know they're big they're big things is make yourself as visible as you possibly can, uh, both personally and from the vehicles point of view. But still follow the go-left protocols. If you can, get off the motorway. If you can get into a emergency refuge bay if it's one of the smart motorways, absolutely do that. Other than that, get yourself left, get yourself out of the vehicle and call us, let us know. Make sure you know where you are. An awful lot of the calls that come into our call centres, we get very, very vague descriptions about where the vehicles are. Now we can if we've got an idea where you are, we can capture on our cameras, we can close lanes, we can get traffic officers out to support all the appropriate services arrive. But we need to know where you are before we do anything else.
2: What, what I like about what you've just said there, I remember it very well, that campaign. It was those oversized bugs on your windscreen. It was the flies, yeah. It was the flies. Yeah, I, I remember it very well, very visual. So it had a lasting impact on that messaging. Regulations of compliance, the powers that you have at national highways, where, where do you stand here in, in terms of any penalties or trying to enforce on the network? And and do you have any operations or any initiatives in place or in the past that you could mention?
1: We have very, very, very few enforcement powers. Uh, We can, if if somebody willfully disobeys a direct instruction from one of our traffic officers, we have a degree of enforcement powers there, but that is it. And it's an interesting discussion because to be blunt, we don't want Enforcement powers, I think the way that our traffic officer teams in particular, the way that my teams interact with members of the public, interact with the the industry, is around a certain degree of trust. But we're not out there to score more enforcement points with people. uh, I mean, you'll be aware, your listeners will be aware, I think an awful lot of the general driving public think our traffic officers are some kind of police force or whatever. But they're, they're not. They're there to help. They're there to support. Not just the operator drivers and the operators, but also the blue light services as well. I think what we do see is quite a lot of fragmentation across the different police forces. It always makes me smile when people talk about the police. There's no such sort of thing as the police in this country. We have 43 forces, all with differing views of the world. Um, some work together, others maybe not quite so much. So it can be fragmented, I think is probably the best way of saying it. Personally, I have a view that enforcement has a role, but we're never going to enforce bad behaviors off our network until we all have our own personal policemen sitting on our shoulder telling us what to do and what not to do. So for me, it's more about raising awareness across drivers, users of our network. As we spoke about in the presentation that we made here at the, the force conference today, you can easily demonstrate that at least 50% of the vehicles on the road at any one time are being driven for work. We already have the health and safety at work lever which can be used to exert influence, uh, change behaviours, encourage correct decision making from drivers because they're driving for work. They're an employee in the same way as you would if you were sitting in an office or driving a forklift truck around the warehouse or driving a digger on a building site. Those levers are already there. So enforcement is great to have there as an absolute last resort but actually an awful lot of it is about encouraging behaviours and I, I always tend to refer back to uh, one of the one of the operations my team on which is the uh, operation tramline which is where we lend police forces around the country one of our three HDV units they have some specialism they're slightly adapted we, the speed limiters are disabled on them because they're enforcement vehicles they don't pursue it it's just to allow us to make progress against traffic or the police we lend them to to make traffic against progress I've got some blue lights but the biggest single modification is they've got 360 degrees reinforcement standard cameras on them uh, as well as you know gopros and all the rest of it the reason i mentioned that is that a good example when i first joined highways uh, i asked a colleague who, who operates on this so these cabs are they successful and i got a spreadsheet mm. which told me about all of the prosecutions that the police had uh followed through and fixed penalty notices that had been issued and all the rest of it. and to be blunt i'm saying well you're just demonstrating to me it ain't working because if it was working we wouldn't find anybody to prosecute would we or the police wouldn't find anybody prosecute. Now I know that's been a little bit pie in the sky and a little bit, you know, hypothetical, I guess for want of a better phrase of it, but the biggest single benefit Traveline brings us, and this plays back to this original question, is it raises awareness and it shines a light on the fact that there are some fairly unhealthy behaviours going on at our network. And this demonstrates, and so the deterrent effect is massive. Cabs, we, we get criticised for them being stealth undercover. Every time the Daily Mail article is about them is, you know, they're stealth undercover sneaky cabs. I'll, I'll tell everybody where they are 24 hours a day. I want the drivers to behaving safely around them. You know, but they're not designed to be sneaky or undercover. They're out there and we do use them in fairly overt manner on occasions, but they're there to demonstrate and present a deterrent effect as much as an enforcement piece.
2: You used the word behaviour there. Um, I like it. I like it a lot, but I want to take it back to the point about the driver's well-being mm. and safety. They work long hours. They they work irregular hours. The facilities, I suppose, aren't always the best either when they take stops. Is there anything that you're working on at the moment that can help improve that? Because I know there's certain people out there that want this era to certainly improve, and we heard it this morning at conference, but is there anything that Highways is doing at the moment? Bear in mind you cover the majority of this network.
1: Yeah, there's a few things to be honest. It's much at the heart of most things that we're doing at the moment one of the things that you know i talk about and drive my team to distraction with is and i know this sounds maybe a little bit blunt but vehicles don't crash people crash they just happen to be in a vehicle at the time when we look back at the slightly morbidly named fatal collision database that we, we we maintain with dft we find very very few collisions which were instigated by vehicle failure It's virtually always something to do with the driver. But when you start digging into that, we talk quite a lot about what we call our four known unknowns. There's probably five which I'll share with you. But we talk about fatigue. Fatigue causes a hell of a lot of crashes. Distraction causes a lot of crashes. Drug impairment is a real unknown for us. We expect there's a lot of it there. But nobody's got any figures on that. We're trying to get some figures on that which we'll be able to share with you hopefully over the next six months or so medical conditions play in there. And if you imagine those four as a Venn diagram, it's when you get two or three of us crossing over, that's where that's where your issues really start. So it's, it's raising everybody's awareness around that. The fifth one, which we aren't always quite brave enough to talk about, is is, is attitude. You know, I know it's a bit of a, bit of a cliche, but how many times you said, you know, drive, you don't drive your van or your truck or even your company car in the same way as you would probably drive your own vehicle. So why is that? That's all about attitude you know uh, I don't know let's say a final mile delivery driver who uh, you know very often don't wear seatbelts I and mean, that's just the way that it is they probably wouldn't dream of driving their own vehicle without their seatbelt on yet it's perfectly acceptable in that environment and they justify it in all kinds of different ways so there's a lot going on around that um, there's a lot going on from an awareness point of view trying to get that message across one of the things that we talk about again internally quite a lot I haven't quite seen the light of day externally yet. Is bear in mind it's the human factor that tends to cause the collisions in the first place. Fleets are really good at managing vehicle roadworthiness. They're not that great at managing driver roadworthiness in my opinion, and my experience. And I think there's a reason for that. That you know the traffic officer, the traffic commissioner's rather devious, they do a load of work about vehicles condition that's great but most things about vehicle condition are binary you either were overloaded or you weren't you either, your lights either did work or they didn't you either had enough tread on your tyres or they didn't so it's not a difficult conversation it's not a difficult thing to say to a driver can you just go and check your weight on that vehicle again? it looks heavy to me or have you checked your lights this morning that's quite a simple conversation to initiate looking at your driver who looks like a, an absolute caricature of a heart attack about to happen and go mate are you all right you know that's going to be a difficult conversation you know before you blink to your eye you're going to have the HR team on to you you're going to have the union involved it's a really difficult conversation but it shouldn't be because that's the causation and as an industry we, it almost conspires against us going we talk about hgv drivers now it's not limited to hgvs but as an hgv driver and i'm going to with my tongue firmly in my cheek now and talk about a few Stereotypes, but most HGV drivers are blokes. Blokes don't like going to doctors. We know that. But when you do take yourself out of bed and say, uh, "I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping," I, I don't know if I've got sleep apnea, or you know, I, I, I keep falling asleep, and you get diagnosed as diabetic or whatever it happens to be. What's the very first thing that happens? The very first thing that happens is you get your license suspended. So where's the, I won't say incentive, that's probably the wrong word, but where's the imperative for you to actually grasp the issue as a driver and seek help an advice on it. It's a really difficult one to crack, but we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes on this. Uh, just a date for, you, for your for listeners: twenty first of March. Let's see, I'll get the plug in there. Twenty first of March, uh, we have got a big event on the National Space Centre in Leicester, which is addressing these kind of issues. Um, there'll, there'll be limited availability. We really want to engage with health and safety and well-being individuals within organisations with respect to fleet managers. This isn't about managing the metal and protecting residual values and all of that good stuff. This is about managing this as a health and safety and a well-being issue for the, for the benefits of everybody involved with it. So watch this space. Pick me up on LinkedIn. Have a look at that. We'll, we'll let you know that it's there. First come, first serve. That's got the advert in down.
2: Well noted. We will put that on the link at the bottom of the podcast. Uh, I, I will certainly be there. I know last year it was oversubscribed. You had yeah, like before, a, before you before. Had a, a room in the background that you had to go into. So, yes, we will certainly help promote that for you. Just taking things a little bit further from the shores now of the U.K., Obviously the roads here are not just shared by people from this country. There's a lot of international freight. With that you've touched upon the word attitude let me bring into place where the word culture attitudes and culture playing out together is there any work going on at the moment with the uk and other countries about this and road safety
1: now, that's a, that's an interesting question and it, it's fraught with challenges to be perfectly honest and um, there are a couple of things we've been doing uh, which are we we think are successful and as i say think and i should be probably a little bit more. Uh, confident about this but one of the big challenges we have across most of the things that we do is we're trying to demonstrate that something didn't happen I you had some education some training and you didn't crash that's quite a difficult thing to do as I'm sure your listeners will appreciate it. With the incoming vehicles uh, for, for a number of years now we've been offering fresnel lenses at the point of entry uh, for left-hand drive HGVs we've burnt our way through quite a few thousand of those over the, over the last to five years, and um, do they work? I haven't got a clue, but what I do know is we see significantly less left hand drive side swipe collisions than we were mm. seeing four or five years ago. So, something has happened. What we've also been doing for the last couple of years, we've created uh, what we call our driving UK leaflet. At the risk of it sounding a bit simplistic, what it's trying to do is just give mm. us some knowledge to incoming drivers about the fact that guess what. We drive on the other side of the road, our speed limits are in miles an hour. We've got these strange people, I not them people, lovely people called traffic officers around there. They're not the police, but actually they do have powers and they're there to help and support. Uh, we have these things called smart motorways, which we probably need to explain to you how they work and what uh, an emergency refuge area is about the, the, the phones at the side of the network. So a nice leaflet very illustrative in the way that we're trying to get the message across but we've also translated it into i think it's 16 different languages so we have hard copies available on the most common languages at the point of entry and at the various hdv parking spots within kind of a four and a half hour range of the ports and we also have online copies in all kinds of different languages one of the things that well i guess there's a few things going One sounds a little bit frivolous but it does make me smile every time i think about it we learned that you give somebody a paragraph in German and it comes back as what looks like a, an essay. So we have a bit of trouble fitting the words onto the page, but they're available online. They're there to be used. And we think that a useful thing. We discovered a secondary market as well, which was interesting, which was UK based individuals where English isn't the first language. Mm. So we have supported Amazon, for example, significantly and some of the other point and mile delivery providers in providing advice in, Various Eastern European languages, which are very much making up the bulk of their workforce. So, yeah, it seems it, 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 well. In terms of broader engagement, it, it is a bit difficult to actually find parallel organisations, the National yeah. Highways, outside UK. We are heavily involved in CEDA, S E D R, which is the kind of European grouping of, of highways agencies, highways authorities. Uh, where we're we're sharing knowledge. We're we're learning stuff from them, they're learning stuff from us. Part of our general remit at Highways, part of my team's remit is we we do engage on an international basis where the links appear, basically, we're very much about knowledge sharing and getting the right kind of messages out. For example, some of your listeners might be aware of a a project we're trialing at the moment, Project Ping, which is about trying to let opt in operators know what we've spotted their vehicles up to when they're around the corner and out of sight, without resort to enforcement, it's it's a heads up, sort it out kind of approach. Trial is working really, really well, um, but we've had two or three um, conversations with foreign bodies around how they can adopt it. UAE have been interested in in a big city project they're on there uh, carrying out or looking to build over there. So it is interesting. We do get various linkages, but we're happy to share.
2: What what's around the corner in terms of any future advancements with uh, national highways at the moment, whether it's technology-based, I'll I give you the example, we talk about autonomous vehicles and everyone's got a different viewpoint on that as to when they're going to arrive in numbers. Uh, and can I mention that word as well, smart road infrastructure. So w- where are we on some of these things and are and, and we in the right direction and is our health good?
1: Yeah, I guess it is. To be honest, I mean the the march towards autonomous and alternately fueled that was, was harder to say than I thought it was going to be. Alternately fueled vehicles is inexorable. You know, we, it, it's coming whether we like it or not. So there is, as I mentioned earlier, a hell of a lot of activity going on behind the scenes with our tech teams, the highways to make sure our infrastructure is fit and able to enhance that movement. I guess the biggest thing for me, though, it's not, for me, it's not particularly directly about technology and modal shift, but for me, it's all about people. And one of the things we're working on very hard at the moment is not the greatest name for a project, but bear with me, it's something we call Empower Procurement. We're all sharing the roads with people who are driving from work. We touched on this earlier, but it's ever so easy for us to say, well, that was, that was one of our contractors or that was somebody working but they're all working for somebody that's the whole point of this and what we're calling on specifiers to to be more conscious of is their ability indeed their responsibility to influence behaviors within their supply chains the conversation this morning uh, Richard Turfitt, the senior traffic commissioner mentioned the the bath tipper tragedy which eight years ago now, god can you believe it eight years ago and it was very easy just to point the finger at that operator and say your systems and procedures for your vehicle maintenance weren't up to scratch that's why it's happened and I get that that driver of that tipper that business weren't just driving that tipper around the streets of Bath for the fun of it they were driving it around the streets of Bath because they were working for somebody to carry out the role that they were doing so where was the confidence in that specifier who was employing that vehicle and the driver to carry out the job that they were doing it properly you wouldn't let them into rewire your house or plumber gas ovening or anything like that without having a confidence that they were up to the job yet somewhere along the lines we just make this assumption that the organization is up to the job and we need to be more demanding as specifiers we need to be more demanding as members of the of the population, to be perfectly honest, as well. Um, I got asked the other day a question about the gig economy, because a guy on asked the question another pizza delivered on the back of a very shaky looking moped, which I think was probably all been there for it, but actually, you've got a choice. If you're not happy with the way that that service was provided for you, stop using it. Tell them why you've stopped using it and encouraging them to step up because we, we get what we pay for and what we deserve to a great extent. That would be my message, is we need to be more demanding. If we're going to do anything seriously about road safety, as specifiers, as users and as consumers, we need to be more demanding a bit.
0: That was Mark Cartwright from National Highways talking to Darren Lindsay, and it brings this week's podcast episode to an end. Do like it, download it, share it, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. You'll find this and other episodes via the Project Edward website and on all the popular podcast platforms. Next week, we'll be exploring the role of the coroner in the safe system. But for now, from me, James Luckhurst, and the reporter, Darren Lindsay, it's goodbye.